Aberdeen Standard Investments, proud sponsors of CityWire Podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CityWire Selector Podcast. I'm Jessica Beard, international reporter. Now, for this episode, I went down to near St Paul's in London to the Fidelity International headquarters. I went there to meet Nick Peters, who's a multi-asset portfolio manager at the firm. He was really perfectly placed to tell me all about the latest fund selection news at the group. Um, he was speaking about a renewed interest in alternatives and thematic investing at the moment. Nick also told me about the fund pairings he's been making, so those that have gone to plan, but also those that haven't. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here today. Pleasure. Um, so, as a fund selector, are you finding in the current environment that you're having to be more tactical in your movements, would you say? Yeah, so um, well, if we just think about the current environment, um, you know, equities have obviously had a fantastic run um, and we think are fully valued. Um, fixed income generally, there are pockets of value, but again, it's an, an area where uh, we, we do find it generally difficult to find value. So where so, are those pockets of value in fixed income? So what we've been adding to in our tactical funds most recently is Asia high yield um, and also emerging market debt, local currency. So basically, since the beginning of the year, the market or investors generally have been worried about the growth in emerging markets, um, um, particularly because of the strong dollar. Um, now, we think that that's got to a stage where it's overdone and assuming that growth is reasonable going forward, um, then we've been given a great opportunity to buy into these, uh, these asset classes. So are there any specific managers in those regions that you, that you like? So the market, so the funds, that, the tactical funds that I use uh, predominantly use fidelity strategies. Um, and so it's the, you know, the Fidelity Asia High Yield Fund and the Emerging Market Debt Local Currency. Um, in the market, the market, sorry, the manager research team that, that, that we have within our multi-asset team do look at third-party funds as well and they have a, a recommended buy list, but the tactical funds just use Fidelity strategies at the, at the moment. Um, so yeah, there are pockets of value, but um, you know, generally speaking, what we're finding is that we're taking capital away from market-sensitive funds and looking to add to areas where um, you know, we describe as uncorrelated alpha. And that comes in, in two forms, if you like. First, either through portable alpha, which is effectively taking a, a strategy, a manager, and um, using derivatives to hedge out the market exposure, to hedge out the beta. Um, and I can uh, explain that further. Um, the other option is, through, is by investing in alternatives, which basically um, deliver, as I say, uncorrelated alpha. And we're, what we're effectively doing is investing in areas that have very little relationship to the markets as we know them. So areas such as wind farms, aircraft leasing, um, you know, just where there's idiosyncratic risk rather than the market risk. How long have you been looking at these areas? Is it a relatively new thing? Or? So, no, I 
So I've been with Fidelity for nearly six years now and we've developed that area over, over that time. So to begin with, you know, as one person looking at certain aspects, that team has grown and you know, basically because the alternative space has grown and it, there's a very wide area known as alternatives. Um, and we've, you know, we have two or three people now that look specifically at the opportunities within that. Um, they, and we use closed-end vehicles, so the aircraft leasing and uh, wind farms. They are through closed-end vehicles quoted on the London Stock Exchange, but also we look at open-ended funds as well. And that means we can start looking at um, you know, hedge funds, CTAs, event-driven funds as well. Are there any in particular that you think are, are very um, have a lot of opportunity at the moment? Um, so, well, I would say you know I mentioned the, the buy list that the, the team come up with. So I would say that anything that is on that buy list would be is a great opportunity, because the way that uh, the team work is that we. We, we, we tend to look um, over a longer uh, time horizon in terms of our investments. We very, very little of the work we do is looking at things tactically, so buying into a fund and then with the thinking that we'll probably be selling out of it in three to six months. That's not the way that we work. What we look for are themes or investments where we think that um, they're run it's either an, uh, an idea like wind farms, which should run for many years to come and deliver strong total returns, so five to 10%, or it's an open-ended fund where we think it's a very skillful manager and also should be able to produce positive returns over a longer time frame. So on that buy list, for example, we've got Helium Performance, which is an event-driven fund. Um, there's um, uh, FNC, uh, Global Market Neutral Fund, um, which again you know, is run by a very strong team and who have delivered strong numbers over time and we think we'll continue to, to do that. And so these are funds that you've been following for a while now? Though. So the way that the manager research team work is that they, they come at things from two angles. They look at the, the, the quantitative side, they look at the numbers, the performance over time, but also there's a qualitative aspect as well. And you know, I'm sure that many listeners of, to the podcast, they probably have a very similar approach, but because we've got 12 people within the team, it means that they can really go into an investment in, in great detail. Um, and final recommendations are made after three to six months of investment research work and many, many meetings with, uh, with the fund manager and, the, and their team. Um, and, and so what that, what that means is that uh, you know, by the time that I see the, the buy list or the recommendation list, I know that there's been an awful lot of work that's gone into it. So um, then uh, how do you siphon that down and, and make your selection based on that then? So the, for, for the tactical funds, I tend to, to zero in on what you know, we think are the, the highest rated, or the, what the manager research team believe are the best, most skillful managers, um, and uh, kind of the best of the best, if you like. We have other mandates where what we attempt to do is effectively blend the different managers. So by blending, we take managers with different styles, say a value manager, growth manager and income manager 
and put them together into the portfolio so that they generate um, strong performance as a group over time um, rather than being um, uh, adversely hit by a, a, a sudden style shift. So really it all depends on the, the, the product that we manage as to the approach that, or how we'll effectively use the buy list that um, is at our disposal. Okay, um, and so you were mentioning about the importance to to kind of play tactically at the moment. What are some of um, the most recent moves you've made? Okay, so by by tactically, so what I've um, meant by that is effectively um, re reduced our exposure to market instruments, so the the, the managers, and add more capital to what we describe as non-directional strategies, so the portable alpha and thematic plays um, as well. So thematic plays that we have on in the fund, for example, at the moment um, is that we have got a short on consumer discretionary, so US consumer discretionary. Um, so with, there's a uh, US index, consumer discretionary sector index, that uh, we can short, and on the long side, to make sure that we're not taking any market exposure, we've got the S&P on the long side. So it's effectively a relative value or, or pair trade. Um, now, I, in the last few months, we've actually seen that has adversely affect, impacted performance, so delivered negative returns, but we've been adding to our exposure, and so adding to the short, because we do think over time a higher oil price is likely to impact the uh, US consumer um, plus higher interest rates as well. And there are some signs of a slowing housing market in the US as well. So all that should adversely affect consumer discretionary and that's why we've got that, that trade on. How long have you held that view for then? So we've had the view on for a while actually. I'd say well over, um, it's probably close to 12 to 18 months now. Um, and the way that uh, we approach these, these sort of positions is we have conviction levels. So, uh, because what we want to ensure is that we don't, um, that the overall fund performance is not impacted by a single position. So consumer discretionary has not been going our way, um, but the performance has still been solid because the position size has been quite small. Now our conviction levels are rising, um, for the reasons that I mentioned, and therefore we're deploying more capital um, in, into that position. And it's a diversified portfolio, so that position has not worked recently, but on the other hand, we've got a long position in European healthcare, pharma stocks, which is hedged against the European market, against the Euro stocks, which in the last few months has worked. Um, and you know, the idea is that Taking the total fund, we have more positions that perform well and generate positive returns. And we, work, we know that not all the positions are going to work at the same time because it is a diversified portfolio. We just want to make sure that that hit rate is above 50%. Of course. Um, over the past couple of years, are there, are there any investments or you know, investment ideas that you've had that maybe haven't played out the way you wanted to and that you've learnt from that or, or you've kind of readjusted your, yeah. your thinking? Um, probably too, too many to mention, um, to mention <laughs> them all. So 
Um, so basically the way that we work is to review, we are effectively reviewing all the positions all the time. We don't have stop losses, um, but when we do see a position that is, is generating negative returns, the first the first thing we were asking ourselves is, is this an opportunity to add further to the position, right, the consumer discretionary one. Um, one that didn't go our way was uh, effectively a long position in Australian equities um, with a short in Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong equities. And we just, we just thought that the dynamics of the Australian market were attractive for numerous reasons. The Hong Kong equities looked um, far, far more expensive and we felt that, um, you know, that actually the outlook was not so positive. So we put that position on and it, it, it started delivering negative returns. We reviewed it, shall we add? And then we looked at the correlation of the overall pair and it was strongly correlated to the dollar, uh, the US dollar. So what we decided was to, to close the, uh, the pair, the Aussie Hong Kong pair, and actually go long the dollar in, in, instead. Um, and um, because we just felt that we were far more on top of the drivers for the US dollar than the numerous drivers that we were seeing coming through for that pair position. So that was a good learning point for us. Um, but um, you know, what I think it shows the strength of the process was that the ongoing review of each position um, there's a sponsor for each position as well, and there are three of us that run run this particular tactical fund, um, and just going and revisiting the thesis and making sure that we're 100% comfortable with the thesis. Of course, are there, are there any pairs that that you found have been hugely successful, even beyond what you, maybe you even expected? Um, so the. Um, the, again, there's been a few, many positions that have worked well as well. The one that comes to mind um, is uh, a long in U.S. media, uh, sorry, a, sh a short in U.S. media, uh, paired with the S&P again. And this was an idea that we worked on with the Fidelity equity analysts. So not only do we have the resource within the multi-asset team, but we can also call upon the equity and fixed income analysts. So which I think there's 300 odd analysts that uh, um, potentially we can use for these sort of thematic type ideas. Um, so that position went on at the beginning of, about the middle of 2016. Felt that the sector was looking very expensive. Um, and 2016 was a very good year in terms of advertising because of things like the Olympics. 2017 was likely to be a far quieter year, yet the analysts all had very strong earnings numbers for the, for the sector. Um, and there was some um, stock-specific um, activity going on which was likely to adversely affect those, those stocks, the stocks such as Comcast. Um, so putting it all together, we felt comfortable putting position on. Our conviction rose over the first half of 2017. The sector materially underperformed. There were profit warnings across the sector. And when it got to a stage where the sector started to look very cheap um, against the rest of the market, um, that was the time where we, we closed the position. Okay. And how much importance do you place on the manager themselves when you're looking at these funds and, and where to invest? Um, so 
so in terms of the the approach, so um, when we're looking at managers, as I mentioned, there's a quant approach and the, a qualitative side as well, where we're looking at the process, the people, um, and the philosophy, and just making sure there's consistency between what we're say, seeing from a qualitative aspect and the, the quant numbers and the performance uh, as well. And you know, ultimately, one of the most important aspects is the, is the fund manager, um, and because ultimately they are the person that ties it all together. Um, and so you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, you know, we, there's three to six months of research that goes into that, and that will mean an awful lot of meetings with the fund manager, the, the, the trigger puller, because you, know, you want to make sure that there is someone that is ultimately responsible for, for that performance. We do, we do have uh, quant funds in our, on our buy list um, as well, but e even there, ultimately, there is someone who is the trigger puller and who will be able to explain to us how the, you know, how the quant models work. So the fund manager is very, very important. Okay. Um, one of the funds that you run is the Fidelity Undiscovered Talent Fund. Um, now, that's a fund of funds, correct? Yeah. Um, what, what do you mean by undiscovered and talent? How, how do you measure that? Okay. So one of, one of the benefits of having such a strong resource in terms of the manager research, as I mentioned earlier, is that um, it means that the team can really delve down into their um, asset class that they're responsible for. And what that enables them to do is also to unearth, potentially unearth managers that maybe others may have missed. And that is kind of how, why we tag them as undiscovered. And what undiscovered could mean are uh, maybe uh, a, 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 a younger manager who's just started out, maybe in a big firm, and has just been given a small fund to start. Um, but basically have this, has the same ethos as the rest of the team. Um, another example would be where someone has moved from one house to another. So we're currently invested in the Polar Capital UK Value Opportunities Fund. And that was a team that moved um, from Mighton to, um, to Polar. Um, and we were you know, very confident that the, 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 the duo will be able to continue with the success um, that they had at, at Mighton. So um, that's another uh, way we, we would describe as uh, undiscovered. And then thirdly, um, you know, perhaps uh, a manager that's done very well in the institutional space that has just launched a retail product. So Heronbridge in the UK was another example. Uh, and also um, Majedi US um, a fund that we were invested in. Um, so there we know the manager very well. Majedi is more of an institutional type. Uh, their approach is more institutional-like, um, but there again, we, you know, we've got great faith in the manager and his ability over time to deliver alpha. And I expect the, the idea is to invest in early and then hold it for a long time? Yeah, so what... <laughs> It, it differs. It's case by case. Sometimes we've invested in managers when they when the AUM is is very low because academic research shows that the strongest numbers come when the fund is smallest. Um, but you know we do, we also have funds such as uh, uh, the Crux European Special Situations, 
which is a, a fund uh, well over a billion, but we just think that they, you know, the, the manager there will continue to deliver strong outperformance over time. I noticed there were some passive uh, funds within within yeah. the portfolio. Um, do you think that a lot of passive funds are finding a lot of the untapped areas of the market at the moment, or why? So why, why I so I've got passive exposure in there really for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, it enables me to move quickly in terms of tactical asset allocation between different um, regions, equity regions. So this is a, a global. The benchmark is the is global equities, um, all country. Um, and what I try to do is add value on a tactical basis um, by switching between regions. Um, and the quickest way to do that is via futures. Um, and also, when, for whatever reason, if we were to reduce exposure to a manager or sell out of a manager, then what I do is to move into a, a passive instrument whilst we're looking for a replacement. Okay. Um, are there certain areas where you find it easier to to be to find these undiscovered managers and talents? Um, so generally speaking, and um, yeah, I imagine all the listeners will be nodding sagely at this, but outside the US, is it's easier. Um, and also, what we found over time is that the value style has been. Um, has underperformed for so long that actually there are fewer managers that are managing value type strategies. Um, especially when you're starting out, the last thing you want to do is to invest in a, a fund where you're not, where the, you're investing in a style that has been underperforming for, for many years. So what we're finding is that actually uh, those that are starting out tend to prefer the, either the, the, the quality style or the growth style because that's what has been working for, for so long. Okay. Um, and, and are there any kind of regions or specific sectors, maybe or thematics, where, where you find a lot of new innovative kind of ideas or, or these talents emerging? Nothing. Uh, I, I think emerging markets is always interesting because, you know, that continues be, to to, to, to develop and different approaches come through. So I'd say emerging markets is probably the most exciting um, place right now. Okay. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me today. Thank you. To hear more of the CityWire Selector podcast, tune in again for the latest show. Go to citywireselector.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at CWSelector to stay up to date with all the latest fund industry news. Aberdeen Standard Investments, proud sponsors of CityWire Podcasts.